This morning we have the privilege to have with us a, a guest who is in one sense part of the family as son of Janelle Onquist, who is part of our family, and also a missionary that we have supported as Camper Mansion for several years. Herr Onquist, who is the church planter and the organizing pastor of Free Grace Presbyterian Church in Lewiston, Maine. He continues to be the pastor in that church and working in that mission uh, today. When Pear planted the church, he did so in a way that's different than is typical within the PCA, not otherwise unknown, but not normal. Because the way a lot of churches are planted, PCA and others, is we find growing communities where there are people who are a lot like us, and we plant our flag and gather people together, disciple them, and we are blessed as many come to faith in Christ as they gather and then begin to serve that community. But in the PCA, we tend to do well with um, people who are of higher education or better means, and so a lot of our churches look that way. Uh, Pear, when he went to plant and spun off their twin cities in Maine, in Auburn and in Lewiston, Auburn being the place with the doctors and the engineers, and Lewiston with the people that are struggling. And Pear chose to go to Lewiston in obedience to the command to go even to the least and not only to the people who, are, who have all of life. And as he was laboring there in, in the church, they also realized something else, is that that town began to grow with refugees from other nations and so even as they're ministering to people in their brokenness they also were offering the hope of the gospel to people who had never heard it as they came and so pair we're going to invite you to come and share with us about your work and then bring us the word of the Lord. thank you dennis dennis does a great job introducing the work um, perhaps better than i could some ways and so it seems a little odd to come up here afterwards and say, I'm going to tell you a little more. He's done a great job doing it. But I do want to share a little bit more about what he's just described. And I want to do it through Bob Dylan. Not because Bob Dylan has any connection to us, but because he once sang, everything is broken. And the gospel says he's right. Everything is broken. We see it in every life and every community. You can see it in your own lives, those around you. You can see it here in your community, in Williamsburg. In some ways, it's easier to see in our community, as Dennis shared some of it. I see it in the life of a friend, one of those in our community for whom everything does seem to be going well. Life is going fine. Uh, she and her husband, you know, life is good for Financially, they're provided for, their family you know, grows, and yet every time a struggle comes up, every time a crisis hits, she struggles to find comfort, to find security, to find an answer because she has no anchor in life. And it bounces, she bounces from one thing to the next, to the next, seeking that security. I see it in the single mother who just found out this over this past year that her teen is sexually active, is smoking marijuana, and is now beginning to emotionally and verbally abuse her. I see it in the, the friend who's struggling with alcohol in the midst of the seeming hopelessness of, of their life. I see it in the member of our church whose faith is strong even though she's only been able to make it to church once in the past year because of just pure physical ailments in her body. 
The pain is too great to leave her apartment. I see it in our community where the, the square mile around our, our church building itself is, has a poverty rate of over 40%, making it the poorest square mile north of Boston. In our community where uh, more than 80% of the population are openly non-religious and less than 3% would call themselves evangelical. This is free grace. This is our church, a church of broken people bringing the gospel to a, a community whose brokenness is all too easy to see at times. By worldly standards, we're a small group in a small place. And yet, we are a group bound together in Jesus Christ in a place saturated with the image of God in every person that we see. We're a group that gathers together to love each other, to struggle with faith and what it means to, to follow God, to live out the gospel in the midst of life with all of its busyness, with all of its pain, all of its struggle, all of its joys, and all of its distractions. But for all that he's done over the years, and Dennis mentioned you guys have been a part of this for years, it's been a little bit longer than that. It was eight years ago that you sent a missions team up to be a part, to join with us as we begin this work. Having begun it, moved there as our, my family and I had moved there the previous year, you guys were one of the first to come up eight years ago. And all he's done since then, establishing the church, calling elders to shepherd that church. Um, this past year, we elected our, and ordained our first deacons as God called men to care for the people of the church in our community. All that's gone on, all the lives that have been touched, yet all of that is just a foundation. When the Jews had been first carried off to Babylon as exiles, the prophets with them there were telling them, don't settle in, stay separate, stay apart. You're not going to be here long. You know, God's going to take us back to where he's promised. God then had Jeremiah write a letter to, to the people in Babylon, to his people there. And what he told him to write was he told him to write and tell them, build houses, plant gardens, take husbands for your daughters, wives for your sons, settle down, seek the welfare of the city where I have brought you. That's what, what God is calling us to do, to bring his free grace to bear on every dimension of the city, of the place to where, where God has brought us, to bring it to bear on all of life, socially, economically, physically, spiritually. We've been doing that, God has been doing that, through many things, through the church, but not just the church, but through Jordan's Bridge, our Christian counseling center that we established to bring the gospel into the pain and the struggles of broken relationships, of addictions, of abuse. We've done it through, he's done it through Share LA, the, the joint work day that we've started with a number of other churches in our area where we, the people of God, go out and serve our community physically, visibly, to show that the church is a part of the community, the church cares for the community, the church is something that's worthwhile 
for the community. He's done it through the film festivals, not that we've started, but you know, just our, our local film festival that we've been a part of for the six years that it's existed. He did it, he's starting to do it um, this past year through what we call Grace Note. Started last summer as a, a week-long music camp for kids in our community that we're looking to, to repeat this June, have our second one. But we're actively gathering right now a, a group of people from the community to gather in and to see that expand, not just as a music camp, somewhere to go and you know, have your kids babysat for, for a week during the day, but to turn it into a community music school that we can, can take the gifts that God has given us and use the language and the beauty of music to speak of the beauty of our Creator of our Savior, to those who wouldn't walk into a church but long for music in their souls. We long to see it happen, to build on that foundation as we address the number one need in our community, which is economics, jobs. To see the church start a business in the community that brings jobs to the community, that hires people from the community and gives them a living there to say we are here we are here to seek the welfare of our city not just to grow and have a bigger building more people coming in putting money in the offering plate but to seek the welfare of our city this is what god is doing building a foundation but just as he has bound this group of people together you know in jesus christ that, that to create free grace he's bound us together in jesus christ we are the church. I've mentioned that you guys have, have done that through the years. You came up eight years ago and joined with us. Helped paint our house, our newly bought house. David, Carey, we were looking at the house the other day. It needs painting again. So come on back. Um, I'm afraid that's the way it goes. You know. yeah, but it's not just that. Through the years, you have supported us as a church financially. You've supported us in prayer. You've supported us as a family. You know, with mom and dad here, with, with my brother Joel and, and his wife Susie, providing a wife for, for Joel in Susie. Um, all these ways you know, we couldn't have asked for at the time. Over this past year with dad's cancer and death last October and caring for mom and dad and us in that and in the, the months since that, we cannot thank you enough. But it doesn't end with mom... Uh, moving down to be with Joel and Susie in Boone, North Carolina next week. It doesn't end there. Still, we are bound together. Still, we see a foundation that God has been building, a foundation that he is going to build on. As Chris Tomlin saying, greater things have yet to come and greater things are still to be done in this city. That's what we see. That's what we invite you to continue to be a part of to join with us to seek the welfare of the city where God has brought us. This is what we are doing in Lewiston, in central Maine. This is what you're doing here in Williamsburg. This is what the church of God is called to do here in this world. It's this for which we gather to worship God. 
Shakespeare ga- you know, captures the essence of our worship um, when he puts wisdom into the mouth of his fool in his play, As You Like It. There he has, has the fool say, The fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. We come this morning, some of us thinking that we're wise, others of us knowing we're fools. We, we come thinking that we have the answers, that, that you know, we can handle everything that life brings, or, or at least most things, so that we don't really need God, or, or we don't need him all the time, but you know, we come to church so that he's there for us. We've done our part keeping the relationship up, and he's there when we need him. Others of us are here this morning because we know we don't have any answers. We, we know there's something bigger than us in life. There's something greater than us, something that we, we don't understand, that we can't fully grasp. And that's why we're here. And that, the Bible says, is wisdom. Coming to God to worship Him. Coming to Scripture, not for knowledge of God. Not to find the, the 12 steps to, to healing our relationship or to a better life. Not because it's tradition. It's what you're supposed to do on a Sunday morning or as a Christian. But to hear God reveal himself as he is. And not as we would have him to be. Not as we would make him to be. Created in our image. And so I invite you to come with me to scripture now. To Psalm 125. As we hear wisdom, wisdom from God, this is the word of the Lord. Psalm 125, a song of ascent. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of God. Let us pray. O Heavenly Father, we come to your word as fools. We come... So often as the fools who think ourselves wise, coming for knowledge only, coming for answers, for, for a 12-step program, a three-step program. We don't even want 12 steps. We come as those who think we're doing okay in life. But we also come as those who have no answers, who cannot handle anything who need everything. And so we come this morning to your word, to encounter you and be transformed by it, to encounter not the wisdom of the ages, not human wisdom, but the reality of you. This is your promise. This is what you do here this morning. And it's this that we engage in now. For we come in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Joe Griffith is a motivational speaker, an actor. He's done hundreds of commercials in his career. In those hundreds of commercials, he's done a number of tire commercials. And looking back, reflecting upon those tire commercials, he once observed that you never see a guy with a flat tire in a tire commercial. It's always a girl. And reflecting on that, you know, he, he got behind it and he said, you know why? Why that is? It's because we're not so worried about finding ourselves in that position. We don't want to be in that position, but we're not so worried, especially guys. But what does worry us, what we don't want to see, is we don't want to see our wife, our daughter, our mother, stuck on the side of the road, in the rain, in the dark, because it's always raining and dark when it happens in the tire commercial. Um, we don't want that to be our wife, our daughter, our mother. They're playing, he said, on our fears, on our anxieties, on our worries. And you stop and think about it, and you, you realize, yeah, that's true. But it's not just the tire companies who do that. If you think through most of our commercials, many of our commercials do that. Perhaps some of the best of them over the last few years, and by best I mean most entertaining to watch, are the Allstate commercials with Dean Winters who plays the personification of mayhem. Yeah, a lot of you know which ones I'm talking about. You, know, you see him sitting in the back of the car holding, holding some cans of soda and, and, and a bag of ice, and you know, he says, I'm the cooler that you stuck with drinks and ice for the, the, the picnic, the party, whatever it was. You know, and on your way, you know, you, you, I'm in the back seat tottering around, and as you take that turn a little too sharp, I spill my drinks and ice all over the back of your car. And as you reach around to grab me to keep me from spilling more, more of my drinks and ice all over the car, it's when the accident happens. Or he's the, sitting in the back of the SUV, Jacket's smoking a little bit, and he says, I'm the grill that your buddy was too eager to get into the game to wait, make sure it was all the way out before he put it in your car. It's a good thing you bought the extra large bottle of lighter fluid. And then you see the car blow up, and you know, there he is with little flames on his jacket. And you know, As somebody who heats his house with wood all, all year long, um, you know, I even liked especially the, the do-it-yourself one that, that won. I don't know how many of you watched the college bowl games. You got to vote on, on your favorite do-it-yourself story that they would turn into a, a commercial. And the one that won was Caleb Goff, who lives in Ohio, who watched two minutes of the nine-minute video tutorial online on how to chop down a tree and then went out and rented the largest chainsaw he could find because it was the largest chainsaw he could find and then proceeded to chop down the tree that had just two limbs on it that his dad said, oh, don't worry, it'll fall in the yard. You can guess what happened. One limb landed on the fence. Caleb says the other limb landed on the house. And now he's famous in an all-state commercial with mayhem. You know, and you know, the, the tagline at the end is, you know, is get all-state, be better prepared for, for mayhem like me. They're playing, you know, these commercials and so many others, they're playing on our fears, our anxieties, our worries. They ask the question, what if? A question so familiar to us. 
We ask it all the time. What if a tree lands on our house? What if I get distracted while driving? What if something happens? Or more profound, deeper still, we ask ourselves, what if my child rebels? What if I lose my job? What if politics spin out of control? What if the doctor tells me those fateful words? What if? The familiar, familiarity of that question just shows how deeply, deeply we long for security. How deeply we long to be free from care and worry. To, to have the, the security to rest at home without worrying about, without worrying about fire or thieves or, or what our children are doing. The, the security to, to rest at work without worrying about the economy and whether we're going to lose our job. The security to rest in our relationships without worrying about being judged or being betrayed or abandoned or hurt. Where do we get that kind of security? Where do we find the insurance policy that covers that? Allstate doesn't offer it. But if you know where it is, I'll sign up for it. Isn't that what we long for? It's that that we hear of in Psalm 125. It reads like a heavenly insurance policy for that kind of security. A security that can be found only in resting in God's everlasting presence. In resting in his everlasting protection. In resting in his everlasting peace. And it begins with this image of God's presence, of his overwhelming presence. Look at verses 1 and 2. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. There's our security. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Do you hear the, the declaration of God's overwhelming presence with us? As, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. But this isn't just an image of, of God's overwhelming presence in, in quantity or power. But it's more intimate than that. It's more like when you were young. And you went to bed scared. When you watched the wrong movie. You know the one that you watched when you were way too young and you shouldn't have? For me, that movie was Darby O'Gill and the Little People. I don't know if I've ever told this to Mom. Um, I don't know why I was watching that. Uh, we lived in Hawaii at the time. Dad was stationed out there, and I was way too young. And, you know, it, it's the one, if you're not familiar with it, it's the one that takes place in Ireland. It has the banshee in there that, you know, the Irish ghost that screams when somebody's going to die in the next 24 hours. And what did you need at night then when you went to bed after the movie was over? You needed mom or dad to come in and sit on your bed and put their arms around you and draw you in. You needed to feel the warmth of their body on theirs, the strength of their arms enfolding you, holding you, declaring far deeper than words ever could that they were there with you, that they were there for you. That's the image of God that we're given here. 
God has his mighty arms wrapped around his people closely, intimately surrounding them. This is our security. For notice how, how the psalmist addresses those whom God has surrounded. They are those who trust in the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord. Now, trust in the Lord doesn't simply mean believing that God exists. The Apostle James says, even the demons do that and shudder. But Charles Simeon, the 18th century English preacher, gives us a better glimpse of what this means when he explains it this way. He said, trust in the Lord does not involve a mere general acknowledgement of God as the governor of the universe. It implies incomparably more. It is a deep conviction of, of his special providence, of his incessant attention to every minute concern of his own peculiar people. Surrounded like this, the object of God's incessant attention to every minute concern, the psalmist tells us, we cannot be moved. We cannot be moved. And we need to hear that. We need to be reminded of that because so often we are moved. So often we feel like leaves just blowing in the wind. We're like the Israelites. One day, walking through the Red Sea, you know, on dry ground, watching then as God drowns the Egyptian army behind, singing songs of victory. And then the next day, standing in the desert, you know, complaining about God because they missed the food from Egypt. We're like the disciples one night sitting in the room as Jesus washes their feet, protesting their love for him. And then before the cock crowed the next morning, standing in the courtyard, denying we ever knew him. Some days we're full of confidence. We think we can handle everything anything that comes along. And then other days, we are so fearful, so depressed, so insecure, we're not sure we can even handle getting out of bed. Whichever day you're having today, God cries out to you. That God cries out to you. You're surrounded from this time forth and forevermore. This is more than just words. It's more than just a feeling that we should have. This is the very facts of God. That he is immovable and he surrounds us. And so we're immovable and nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so faith is a decision then. Faith is a decision. It's a refusal to believe my feelings and instead to live by his facts. It's a decision to find our security resting not in us, not in what we can do, what we can accomplish, but what he has done, what he has accomplished, sending his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to be Emmanuel, to be God with us, to be the living embodiment of his promise to never leave, never forsake us, to surround us and to prove that he values our presence more than we value his. To show that, that he longs for us more than we want him. For he was willing to set aside his glory. To come down to earth, to become human. To die on the cross. 
so that we can know this everlasting presence that God surrounds us from this time forth and forevermore. This everlasting presence then leads us to the security of his everlasting protection. It's what we see here in verse 3. It's what we hear in the ancient Celtic prayer that's known as St. Patrick's breastplate. Part of the prayer goes this way. It's Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger. It's called his breastplate. Because of the security by, of which this prayer speaks. The security that we hear here in verse 3. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. Lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. We hear here that God's surrounding of us. Means that this scepter. This symbol of power and authority, that the, the, the scepter of wickedness, the power of wickedness may touch us. It may fall upon us. In fact, Scripture elsewhere warns us very clearly, it will touch us and fall upon us. But yet, despite that, it will not rest on us. It cannot have lasting sway over us. This is what, this is what we all want. Protection from the wickedness of this world, from the evil of it, from the pain that comes from it. In fact, we want it so deeply that we create defense mechanisms to try and get there. Now, these aren't anything new. Sigmund Freud was one of the first to, to pick up on that. In fact, he's the one who coined the phrase defense mechanisms for it. And his daughter, you know, after him, looked and, you know, through his, his work and enumerated ten different categories that if we went through them, we would recognize. We would find all too familiar denial. Transference. You have a bad day at work. So what do you do? You go home and you yell at the kids or your spouse. You know, on it goes. But the problem with all of these defense mechanisms, all ten of these, all of them have a problem. And the problem is that there are defense mechanisms. They're built on us. And eventually something comes along in this world that's bigger than us, that's greater than us, and it kicks the gates in on our defense mechanisms, on the fortress that we've built. And we're left without anything. Once again, we're defenseless. We're insecure. The difference of faith is that the Christian doesn't look to a fortress that we have built. This is the refrain of the Psalms. It tells us this repeatedly. Those famous words of Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. Those words that we sing in that hymn of Martin Luther's, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Or how about the words of Psalm 139, you hem me in behind and before, you lay your hand upon me. We find this reality of a protection not built on us in the name he calls us here in verse 3. For those who trust in him are the righteous. The righteous. Now here's the thing with righteousness. 
we often put it in the same category that we put our defense mechanisms. Something that we have built, built upon our accomplishments, what we can do, our ability. But the gospel says this righteous, that righteousness isn't ours. The Apostle Paul, quoting a couple of psalms, you know, gives God's verdict on our righteousness when he says, there is none righteous, no, not one. That doesn't leave any wiggle room or any exceptions for me or you. But our protection is everlasting expressly because it's not built on our righteousness, but it's built on him. It's his protection. It's his righteousness. As Paul writes to the church in Corinth, that God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we might become the righteousness of God, and it's because of this power, it's because of this, that the power of wickedness, you know, that sin, pain, struggle, all of that, that it can't rest on us. It can't rest on our inheritance. Our inheritance. It can't rest. It can't, it can't take away what God has promised. After all, as God told Paul in the midst of his own struggle, my grace is sufficient for this is our security, God's everlasting protection, built on him, his righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then it's that that allows us to rest in his everlasting peace. It's these last two verses here, the prayer that we see. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in their, in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. See, our security, our security blossoms into prayer. For only when resting in his everlasting presence and his everlasting protection can we have the confidence to come before the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace in time of need. Mercy and grace in time of need. All that we need, all that's necessary for security in an insecure world. Isn't that the definition of peace? It's why the psalmist ends, peace be upon Israel. And yet, we wouldn't say it that way in our culture today. We would say that, that same final phrase. We would probably say it more of, relax. It's all taken care of. Relax, it's all taken care of. You, you see, prayer, prayer is only possible when we're securing God. For only then do, can we cry out to God, not trying to convince him to give what we want, not trying to convince him that, that we're worthy of, of what he's, he has said he wants to give, but calling to him for what he's already promised to give, for what he has said he will do already. Only then are we let resting in his everlasting peace. Only then are we stepping back and allowing God to be God. For outside of that, we're back in ourselves. For every, every Christian is a sinner. Every Christian is a doubter, an uneven performer. And when 
when we're on this long obedience in God's direction, when we're on this journey of faith, when we approach it in us, our security is built on us. We're like the child you know, walking along the curbs, you know, trying to balance so that they don't fall off into the lava on either side. What happens every time? If the curve is long enough, we fall off. And then if you play it like I did, you, you know, somehow there's an island. There's always an island there. There's something that allows you to not fall into the lava. But in life, it's not that way. But rather, when our security is found resting in God's everlasting peace, we're, we're less like the child on the curb. We're more like the mountain climbers, climbing the mountain roped together with the strongest climber first, knowing that we may slip and stumble, that... The weather may be bad, it may be adverse, but it's never going to be fatal. Because even if we fall, the rope will hold us. And after all, we know who that first climber is. We know the one to whom we are tied. The, the, the author of Hebrews makes it clear when he tells us to run this race, to climb this mountain, to walk this long obedience in God's direction, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. then we have peace. Then, and only then, will we know that peace in the midst of an insecure world. Chesty Puller is the most decorated Marine in U.S. history. More medals, more ribbons than any other Marine has ever received. In the Korean War, he was a colonel commanding the 1st Regiment of the 1st Marine Division. And early in the war, in December of 1950, the, the first Marines were, were advancing up into northern Korea. This is when Korea, uh, China hadn't yet entered into the war, at least, you know, MacArthur was still saying they hadn't. And the, the Marines were advancing forward, these, this one division of about 9,000, 10,000 Marines. And they knew there were Chinese soldiers around. They had glimpses of them, little indications, little encounters with them, but they weren't sure where they were or how many. And as they got up into the mountains, these 10,000 Marines found themselves surrounded by 60,000 Chinese soldiers. Chesty Puller responded to that situation this way. He said, we've been looking for the enemy for some time now. We finally found him. We're surrounded. That simplifies things. This is the psalm's response to the journey of faith in an insecure world. This is the psalm's response to, to living out the gospel in a world full of difficulties, of struggles, of pain. That resting in God, speaking of him, the psalmist cries out of our situation. We're surrounded. That simplifies things. We're surrounded. That simplifies things. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we hear the wonder of the facts of who you are, that we are surrounded by you, that when we rest in your everlasting presence, when we rest in your everlasting protection, when we rest in your everlasting peace, then we know security. then we are surrounded 
And this is not built on us. Our security isn't built on us. Our being surrounded, our being, being, our trusting in you, our righteousness, none of this is built on us. But it's built on Jesus Christ. And there lies our security. Father, wherever we are on that journey of faith this morning, whether we've been walking it for decades, whether we're brand new to this journey, whether we're not sure we're on the right path at all, whether we know we're not on this path, Father, wherever we are, we long for security in this world. May you give it to us. but not as we would have it, but only as we find true security. Security in you, through Jesus Christ. That is our prayer. For we come in the name of Jesus Christ.